This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, it's the Hockey News Podcast. Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell, Ryan Kennedy. Coke can is open officially and that means it's time to start talking hockey. And right now we're recording on a Monday, February 25th. The trade deadline has just finished. The final trades have been filed by Central Registry. They've trickled in. The dust has settled. Uh, and we're going to talk winners and losers. But first of all, I don't know about you guys. I think it was pretty underwhelming trade deadline day. And I know it always turns out to be underwhelming. Yes. But I really thought it wasn't going to be this time. Am I crazy? No, you're not. I, I, I found it to be rather... Um yeah, yeah, just did, just didn't seem to live up to the hype, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of that obviously is because a lot of the deals were made before the trade deadline day, and that seems to be a that seems to be a fairly common occurrence over the last couple of years is that the actual day doesn't really live up to it because people get their work done before that. And I think that was it was probably that was probably a big part of it this year as well. Yeah, and I think something we've discovered in the past couple of years is that the the NHL draft is the new real trade deadline. Right. Because right. you have yeah. everybody in one place, you have ample time, you have 30 other teams to deal with instead of just the buyers, and there might only be a dozen of those tops, you know, maybe even 10 or, f- or fewer. Um, for me, it's like, please, sports networks, stop going on the air at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, because there's nothing to talk about for the first like four hours, and if you just started your broadcast at like eleven, then maybe you can <laughs> have the first deal and you can talk about that. Then you can go to all your inane stuff, um, and then you can get into the real trades. But you're not spending that entire time because I think people expect the day to be bigger because it's like, oh, they're on the air at eight. Right. It's like, they're just doing that for advertising. And wasn't there something, I don't remember which one of us uh, first heard this, but one of us heard this, that uh, one of the networks offered to sort of do like a, a peace offering, right. like let's go on the air 10, and then the other yeah. network was like, no, we want to beat you, yeah. so we refused to do it. Yeah. But yeah, at least I feel like we learned this year, this year we got together, the three of us, at 10 a.m., and I thought I think that's the latest since in all the entire time I've been at the hockey news, the latest that we that we started working for the deadline because we knew nothing was going to happen. And it was yeah, I don't fun. Get it. I, I normally don't get out of the old fart sack until around that anyway. So <laughs> you know, it was good for me. Uh, the old fart sack, <laughs> quoting Pat Quinn, right, Ken? Yep, <laughs> that was the best. All right. Uh, well, let's talk winners and losers. We're each going to name our own. Winning, winning team and our own losing team. So I'll get it started. Uh, I was very happy with what the Nashville Predators did today. And going into deadline day, I, I, I tweeted that I thought they were the team under the most pressure to make a move um, because, A, they have been measured up to the Winnipeg Jets dating back to last year when they didn't have enough to beat them. Uh, and, B, I think that if you think of the Jets' window as open for seven more years because their best talent is younger, uh, the Predators' window, it's not it's – not, tiny and closed, but it's shrinking, right? Pecorino's 36 years old, and Roman Yossi's going to pose some problems next year when he goes UFA. Will they be able to afford him? Will they lose him? We don't know. So mm-hmm. I think that because of that uncertainty, the Predators are in their best window to go for it right now, and they had some glaring needs. I think what, what they didn't have that the Jets had over them last year was two things. A, just overall talent forward. So getting Michael Granlin, I think, addresses that, upgrades the overall skill sure. level over the sure. forward group. Yeah. 
and B, they needed some size at forward. And also power play acumen. The Predators have the worst ranked power play in the NHL, 12.6%. They get Wayne Simmons, a guy that in the last six seasons has more power play goals than everyone but Alex Ovechkin. So they really directly address their need. They get one of the meanest, toughest forwards pound for pound in the league right now. Uh, and I think the Jets also have a lot of toughness, so it's going to help them measure up. And I know you don't want to always build your team just tailored toward beating one opponent, but I think this might be an exception. They're clearly on a collision course. Again, they're the class of the Central Division, both of them. So I'm pretty happy with what the Predators did. I know it hurts to lose Kevin Fiala, uh, but I think is going to peak in a couple more seasons, and they get Granlin, a player who is a two-year rental, right? So he he's up for unrestricted free agency at the end of next season, and maybe that's better than getting a one-year of Mark Stone, even though I know he got extended, but maybe Nashville couldn't have afforded to extend to Mark Stone, so you get a two-year rental in Grandland. Do you guys agree that the Predators are a winner? Well, when you put it that way... Uh, monologue yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I agree with you, and I, think, and I think the fact that they got... that, Like the way you, you... I think you put it perfectly, Matt, that they addressed some needs that they really needed. They, they needed to shore up, and they, they haven't been particularly good this year they haven't looked to me like a team that's you know that that's poised to go on a long playoff run um you know there's there's there haven't been many teams in the west at all that have looked that way but these guys yeah. have looked they've, they, they've looked really bad like really bad by their standard yeah by anybody's standard i mean they're, they're still to colorado on right. a saturday yeah you know and, and they've been through a bit of a slump here and and i think they've looked they've you know, I mean, that's a team that obviously needed something. It needed a shakeup. It needed that room needed somebody to say, "Okay, look, you know, we, you know, we've got your back. We're going to bring some guys in. We're going to improve this situation." And I think they've done that on both counts. I mean, long term, I think Kevin Fiala is going to be a loss that that is going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt in Nashville. I don't think it's going to hurt Philip Forsberg, Martin Erat. Kind of hurt. But I think you're going to look back in a few years and you're going to go, geez, we had Kevin Fiala and we lost him. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, I think it's it's a very good trade for Nashville. And, you know, obviously getting, you know, getting Wayne Simmons, you know, one of the crown jewels of the deadline and not having to give up much for him, I think really helps him in the playoffs. He's not a big guy, but he plays big. Like he's not a, he's not like a huge hulking guy. Um, yeah, he's 6'2", but, but he's thin. But he's thin yeah. and wiry, and but he plays he plays a big game, and he plays those kinds of games that, you know, we know what playoff hockey's like. It's big boy hockey, and he plays big boy hockey. Yeah, and I, I look, you know, going back to that Grand Lynch trade with Minnesota, I thought it was a good one for both sides because of the time frames involved. Like, if you look at the Wild, obviously – they are retooling. You can say rebuilding, but you know they've got some some older guys there, obviously that they couldn't unload. But you know they already got Ryan Donato in the Charlie Coyle trade. They already got, or sorry, and then they get Kevin Fiala, a player who he's still really inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very. Yep. for Nashville right now, they they can't have that. You know they need their assets to be firing on all cylinders now because, as you said, Matt, this is their window. So for them, I'm okay with that sacrifice because in Grandland, you get a player who is going to get you more points right now. Mm-hmm. And you know if if Fiala turns out to be a star in like three years, then good on the Wild for that sort mm-hmm. of you know yeah. forward thinking. But Nashville, they don't have the time for that. I mean, this is their window and. Uh, Simmons is the same deal where 
you know, maybe he's only a rental. Maybe he only ends up playing, you know, this regular season in the playoffs for them. But if that turns into a Stanley Cup, then that's awesome. That's the mission. If they don't re-sign him, that's fine. It's all about now for Nashville. And I, I think, you know, the fact that they didn't give up much to get those guys uh, in the grand scheme of things bodes pretty well for them. Right. And they did surrender Ryan Hartman as well, a pretty good young forward, 24 years old in the Simmons trade. But I thought it was pretty astounding if you look just the, the, the sum total of what they got, that they didn't give up a first round pick. They didn't yeah. give up a second round pick. They didn't give up Dante Fabro. They didn't give up Ely Tolvin, their best prospects. So I think it's a huge win for David Poyle. Uh, Ryan, let's hear your other winner team for the deadline. Yeah, I'm going with the New York Rangers. Uh, I thought they were a pretty good winner today, even though they were a seller. But I think sellers sometimes can make it even better than winners. Oh, yeah. Maybe even more so. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Jeff Gordon, he is just setting the table for the next decade in New York and going about the right way. Kevin Hayes was the big guy that they moved. uh, And then Adam McQuaid a little later in the day. If you look at New York's draft board right now, you're looking at, you know, two first rounders, their own and Winnipeg's, and then potentially two more first rounders if Tampa wins the cup uh, and if Dallas makes it to the third round and Matt Zuccarello plays 50% of the games uh, in the first two rounds. Um, So that's potentially four first rounders. Maybe it's only two, and then the other two become second rounders. That's fine because you can get a lot of value in the second round. Um, you know, McQuaid gets them a fourth and a seventh. They actually had already traded their fourth and seventh away, so they're back stocked there. And what I like about the Rangers is that in the Jeff Gordon era, they have demonstrated that they can draft pretty nicely with those high end picks. Um, you know, Keandre Miller, I thought, was a fantastic pick. Last year in the first round, he's been a great freshman at the University of Wisconsin, even though he got hurt at one point. Vitaly Kravtsov was great at the World Juniors. He was another one. Uh, Niels Lundqvist is coming along. And then you had Leah Sanderson and Philip Heedle the year before his first rounders. They're still finding their way. Um, but the, you know, the deck is kind of cleared for these young players now in the, in the next couple of years, particularly with Anderson and Heedle already having an NHL experience. But, you know, what can that scouting staff do with five picks in the first two rounds of 2019? I think that's just, it's such a feast for a scouting department to have. You, get, you just have so many options there. You could pick up a goaltender higher than maybe you usually would, even though the Rangers actually have some pretty nice goaltending prospects. So maybe not the best example there, but they can go for some raw kids. Mm-hmm. They can go... Even with a safe pick or two, if they if they want to make sure that they hit on somebody, but that flexibility to me is just amazing. Well, and those second rounders too. Like, I think what you can do too a lot of times is at the draft is you can get you can get back into the bottom of the first round yep. by trading two second rounders, yep. right? So you know maybe you get that thirtieth, thirty first pick, 29th, whatever. Um, yeah, I like what they did. I like the fact that they have all these picks, but they could have gone further. I think. And I, I think we know, we all know who I'm talking about here. Chris Kreider. You know, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, I, I'm I you know, I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna take it right down to the wood, then I'm not sure why you don't explore you know the opportunity of training a guy like Chris Kreider, who obviously is going to have a lot more value today 
than he would have either at the draft or at the trade deadline next year because you get him for two playoff rounds. I, you know, if you're going to go all in for the future, I would have liked to have seen the Rangers um, make a deal for this guy and trade him somewhere and see what they could get in return for that. To, right. to just stock up that, that, that stockpile even more. I just wonder if, you know, either A, the price wasn't high enough, or B, if they see Chris Kreider as one of those great transition guys for them that, you know, he's only 27 and he's got another year on his contract. So you can also, you can always revisit this at the next trade deadline if you have to, but maybe he's the type of guy that, you know, can be a leader in the room and can help shepherd some of these young guys along. We know he's always been super athletic. um, So, you know, he's got that going for him. And I, I wonder if you just you need that connective tissue sometimes, and, and maybe he can fill that role. Right, and I think you're bang on because I spoke to Jeff Gordon last week for an upcoming project. You guys are going to see it if you're a fan of our Future Watch edition. And I did ask him about Kreider and about Zuccarello and Kevin Hazen. And one of the things he said was it was a tough decision with all those veterans because they do need some veteran leadership to stay. And also, I think this is the main reason that Kreider didn't go. Um, he knew he had to focus on the UFAs first, and he knew that it was going to come down to the wire. So we thought we saw Kevin Hayes traded on the final day, and that's what he said when we spoke last week. So no matter what happened with Kreider, the focus was going to have to be on the UFAs first because those are the chips that you have to cash in. And if there's time to work out something for Kreider, then great, but at least they'll get another shot if they want to next year. He'd be a hot rental if they decide not to extend him, so we'll see. Uh, Kenny, who is your big winner at the trade deadline? Well, I I, I mean, I, I think... you. I, we have to say Vegas. I mean, when you get the mm-hmm. best player, when you get the best player in the in, uh, you know, when you get the crown jewel of the of the trade deadline, I think you have to be considered a winner, and and more so um, because they were able to to get, come to a long term deal with them. And yeah, it did cost them Eric Brandstrom. I'm talking about, of course, Mark Stone here. You know, I mean, it did cost them Eric Brandstrom, but um, you know, I tie all this back to what George McPhee did. Uh, prior to the expansion draft. I mean, this is the gift that still keeps on giving for them. Um, you know, I mean, they they got the pick that they they took uh, Eric Branstrom with from the New York Islanders um, because they took on Mikhail Grabowski and they they got a cup. They got that pick and a second round pick, and so they would so they stayed away from some guys on their roster like Brock Nelson and Adam Pellick and and Ryan Pulak and some, some other guys, you know, that, that aren't even there anymore. Um, so now he has this pick. He takes Branstrom. Branstrom turns out to be a high-end prospect. Um, and so he's the guy that's the king, the king, because he can sit here and say, yeah, okay, well, other guys might be able to give you a first-rounder or they might be able to give you a prospect, but I can give you a top, time, a top prospect in exchange um, you know, you give us the rights to be able to, to negotiate with this guy so we can do a long-term deal. Because obviously getting Mark Stone for eight more years it makes him much more valuable to anybody than just getting him out as a rental. So, um, you know, they, they, they've got, you know, one of the best two-way players in the league, a guy that's going to help their power play, a guy that's, you know, that's going to be an impact player in the playoffs for them. Uh, and they didn't take anybody off the roster. And really... I mean, they shouldn't even have the pick that they used to take Branstrom anyways. If, <laughs> if, you know, if the other GMs hadn't been so skittish about losing one guy off their roster, uh, this would have never happened in the first place. So I go back to the, you know, the, the, the genius that George McPhee used to play as his counterparts 
in the expansion process. And uh, yeah, I mean, this it's still it's still coming up roses for them. And it's worth noting that you know Vegas is still pretty flush for the 2019 draft. Mm -hmm. They've got their first, they've got their second, they have three third rounders right now. They have Nashville right. and Winnipeg's, uh, and then potentially three in the fifth round as well. It's tough. They've already traded two of their first three draft picks of all time. Nick Suzuki went to Montreal and now Brandstrom. Um, they still have Cody Glass. Fortunately for them, I mean, I was a little worried because they don't have many years to draw off for their pipeline. But if you look at some of the progression made by their initial picks, they had a really savvy draft. Like Jack Dugan was a later round pick that has been fantastic ever since they drafted him. He was great in the USHL last year. He's been very good for Providence College in the NCAA this year. Um, you know, Elvenis in Sweden has had a great year. Um, you know, they have a goalie in Maxim Zhukov. Like, they made enough good picks and, and held on to those guys that I'm not as worried as I think I would have been uh, if it was just sort of a bunch of guys still finding their way. The promise those guys have shown already, I think, bodes really well for Vegas. And as I said before, the fact that they have so many picks this year means that they can keep replenishing that cupboard while still contending for the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm, I'm really curious about is, if you're Mark Stone, was, was this trade being discussed for several days or weeks? Because the reason why I ask that is, how does Mark Stone, how is he sure enough about this market to commit to eight years the day that he's traded, it always blows my mind. How can he be so sure that he wants to live in Las Vegas for the next eight years? And the only answer I can think of is that he's already been doing his homework on the market. Um, and I know there is the connection with Kelly McCrimmon from back in the day, like we discussed earlier today. But still, just how much can you learn just from being told over the phone or by people who know the market? It, it just kind of blows my mind mm. that he can be that certain to commit. Mm. Yeah. I would think that you know he would have discussions with his agents and – with this being his UFA year, saying, okay, I'm probably not going to be in Ottawa past this season. What are my options? You know, who might be in the market for me? Who, who would have the cap space? Um, you know, who would be those contenders? And I, I wonder if there's kind of dossiers on every city. And I'm, I'm sure he knows guys on the team already that can say, like, hey, what's the scene like out there? So maybe, maybe – you give yourself a head start. You do that research long term, knowing what your UFA status is. Yeah, and two, I mean, you know, you talked about how they lost Branstrom and Suzuki, but um, I mean, they've turned those guys into, you know, they turned Branstrom into Stone and they turned Suzuki into Max Pacioretty. Yeah, two guys they were able to get and able to sign to long term extensions as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for two guys that they shouldn't even have had a chance to draft in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean in in both those cases, they were basically, you know, they were basically trading with teams that were skittish about losing a player. And so, you know, I mean I, I think that's a pretty good return for those two guys. And the poor senators, I mean they they do have a nice prospect prospect pipeline they've they've yeah. fortified it you know you have Brandstrom you already have Shabbat Colin White Brady Kachuk up up on the pros you have Alex Formenton and Drake Batherson and Logan Brown and Josh Norris it goes on and on and on but what's really sad is like I, when I was tweeting about that today so many sense fans were responding with doesn't matter when they come of age we'll be trading them too we won't pay them either we'll just be trading them at like you know the 2027 trade deadline I feel bad for Sens Nation right now 
You know? Oh, yeah. Morale's got to be pretty yeah. low. Oh, it's, yeah, it's got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that hurts, it hurts. Yeah, uh, and, you know, that sort of, that thing about not having the first overall pick as well. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little that bit of, just a little yeah. salt in the wound. The new, the new nightmare scenario is that, because Columbus can defer uh, that first round pick, is that either Columbus or Ottawa wins the number one pick overall, and Ottawa doesn't get it either way because theirs goes to Colorado and Columbus says, okay, well, we'll keep this one and you yeah, can have yeah. next year's. Yeah. That's the new nightmare right. scenario. And speaking of nightmares, let's transition to the losers, okay? Losers. Loser. Uh, and I'm going to start off with, uh, I think, maybe a relatively controversial loser based on responses I've gotten uh, on Twitter already. I'm calling the Toronto Maple Leafs a, a big-time loser today. So a big-time big loser. loser. Yeah. I tweeted at the beginning Not of the day. A loser, but a big-time yes. loser. We knew that Nashville was under pressure to to keep up with the Jets, and I think the Leafs, if they really wanted to survive an equally tough bracket in the East, had to further upgrade. We know that they are lacking a little bit of a snarl, maybe physicality from even if it was their bottom six. Just they could have added a winger, a Michael Furler and a Wayne Simmons type. But most importantly, the right shot defenseman. And I know a lot of people say, well, they did get Jake Muzzin already, and that counts. It does, but. When Mike Babcock is not willing to deploy Muzzin the way he probably should be, and when he keeps throwing Ron Hainsey out there, the only way to stop that is to get a proper right shot defenseman that will force Babcock to play that right guy on the top pair. Mm -hmm. And the Leafs didn't do it. Uh, and I think life is going to be tougher for them in the next offseason because you've got Matthews' big contract kicking in. You've got to re-sign Marner. You've got to re-sign Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen. So much money that's going to be committed. It's going to be tougher for the Leafs to pursue upgrades. I think this was a crucial window this year to get very aggressive. And yes, they've done it with the Muzzin trade and the Tavares signing. That's aggression. But I think they needed to keep going and pursue that big fish uh, almost at whatever the cost. I mean, within reason. But I think they should have been willing to pay a pretty high price for a Brett Pesci or whoever it would have been, a right shot, and they didn't do it. Uh, and I think it's going to hurt them. I think the odds of them getting bounced in round one, likely against Boston, have gone up today. Uh, and that's worrisome, I think, for Leaf Nation because last couple years, it was okay to lose in the first round. This year, I think it will be the season will be considered a failure. Oh, absolutely. If you lose it'll in round one. Gut, it'll be a gut punch if they, when they lose. Yeah, the when, that's round. right. So, that's I don't know. I've been saying since the beginning of the year, when they lose in the first round, it will be a kick to the, sh uh -huh. to the short. And am I, be <laughs> am I being too tough on them now? Uh, I don't know if they're big-time losers because they, they, they have a pretty good team. Of course they, they do. Yes, they do. Team. And, and I don't know if you want to – you know, I, I don't. I don't know if you want to um, mess with what they have. Um, I, I, I'm not sure they're a huge loser. I think they are a team that probably could have gotten marginally better and didn't. You know, I mean, unless you're talking about going out and getting Dougie Hamilton, you know, yeah. then then that changes everything, mm -hmm. right? But as far as trade deadline tweaks and everything. They did their work. They, uh, you know, they, they, they got their guy a couple of weeks ago in Jake Muzzin. Um, you know, we all thought he was going to be playing the right side. He's not. We thought maybe that he'd be playing more and Ron Hainsey would be playing less. That's not happening. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I guess they have been, you know, they've lost some a little bit, but I, I, I mean, I wouldn't put them in the cataclysmic loser category. I don't think. Is Kyle Dubas's biggest job this summer convincing Mike Babcock that for some reason he couldn't re-sign Ron Hainsey? 
<laughs> yeah, he's like Babs. I did everything I could. Yeah. It was really tough. Don't call his agent because he'll probably tell you a different story. But yeah. he asked for seven million dollars. Uh, we just we couldn't make the dollars work. Yeah. And uh, I know I I know this happened last year with Roman Polak, and I apologized to you for that. However, you're just gonna have to play Justin Hall, who can actually move the puck, and uh, you know is not 37 years old, <laughs> but is a right shot defenseman. So. Deal with that. Yeah. And to play devil's advocate against myself, I, one thing that I think Kyle Dubas might be doing is understanding that if he if he were to have gotten Dougie Hamilton or Justin Falk or one of those big-time right-shot additions or Brett Pesci, it was was going to cost some package that involved Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen. Yeah. And I think that this Leaf core hasn't really gotten a proper full season beginning to end plus playoff run with both guys. I mean, I know they were both on the roster for the playoffs last year, but I think the mature versions of both players, mm-hmm. and I think maybe Dubas feels like he isn't totally sure what he has yet in those two, and their value continues to go up. So maybe by the summertime, if the Leafs have bounced in round one and Kapanen and Janssen have added to their numbers, they're even more valuable, it'll be easier to understand which guy should go or whether William Nylander is the one that should go, et cetera, et cetera. So... Mm-hmm. That said, I still think they should have been more aggressive, and it's a it's a loss. I'm sure they tried, but it's still a loss. Uh, Ryan, who is your loser? Well, I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, man, they're in a tough spot. I do not envy Jim Rutherford uh, at this deadline, other than the, other than the fact that he owns multiple Stanley Cup rings, and I do not. Um, but man. You know, your defense, you lose Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin basically on the same play against Philadelphia. Olimata already out. Um, Erica Branson comes in for Tanner Pearson. You know, I I don't think I've ever seen a fan base rejoice <laughs> the way Canucks fans did upon hearing. Like, they didn't even wait to hear what they got for him. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, addition by subtraction. They were just like, Jim Benning actually did it. It's amazing. Like... Yeah, I have a feeling they could have traded him for Ebola, and they would have been like, no problem. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, and it's like, it's tough, because, I mean, Eric Branson, he's a big dude. Um, you know, he's very physical, but the other aspects of hockey, he's he's just, he's not built for this era. Had he been born 15 years prior, Eric Branson would have been fantastic. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the game is just too fast now. And Pittsburgh just desperately needed blue liners, so they get him. They get Chris Weidman. I just I don't think it's going to be enough. I think legit Pittsburgh is going to miss the playoffs, and that's rough because you only have so many years of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. As elite as they are, they are two of the best players of all time. But that window is going to close, and you want to at least have a shot every time. Missing the playoffs will be. A huge disappointment. It'll be understandable because of the injuries, but they're in a tough spot. And I look at their draft board right now. They have their first. They don't have a second. They don't have a third. Uh, they have a conditional fourth with Buffalo. Uh, and then a fifth and two sevenths. Right. So they don't even have a full draft board. Right. And arguably the worst prospect crop in the NHL as well. Yeah, their cupboard is bare. And yeah. in 2020, they've already traded away their second rounder. So they don't even, they have two first round picks uh, in the next two drafts, no second rounders, one third rounder. So you basically have like three top 100 picks in the next two draft classes right now. 
Um, it's just a bad scene to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the one thing we can say about Pittsburgh and, and everything Ryan's saying is 100% right. And I, I think we also realize that it's all okay. This is the price that you pay to get a cup run, right? It's the price. It, you, it you get rid of your futures and then later you have very few assets. It happened to the LA Kings. <laughs> it happened to the Blackhawks. It's totally normal. Yeah. And that's why they've just gone for broke. But now they start to pay for that. Now it broke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it broke. Yeah. It broke. Uh, Kenny, unless you have any other thoughts on the Penguins, let's hear who your loser team is. Uh, I'm going to go with the other Pennsylvania team, and I'm going to say the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, you know, we went into this trade deadline thinking that Wayne Simmons was going to be right there with, like, the guys that would be most coveted at this deadline. Um, you know, and, and I mean, obviously, they got the best deal that was out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they didn't turn down better deals than this. But to get just a, a, a just Ryan Hartman and a third rounder for Wayne Simmons seems spectacularly underwhelming for me. You know, Ryan Hartman's now in his third organization. I, I know he scored 19 goals a couple of years ago for the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, but I think we know where this guy's career is trending. He's jag. He's just yeah, he's going to be a bottom sixer, he's, maybe he's a, but a third a liner. He's yeah. a banger. Yeah, he's just a guy. And a third rounder, like, people were talking about a first for mm-hmm. Wayne Simmons, right? Um, you know, and, and even like, even the going rate is a, isn't it a, like a second for guys? You gotta get a second. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. uh, to me, I, I just don't think that, uh, I, I just don't think that the, the Flyers got enough for, for, for an asset like Simmons. And I think, uh, I think the reason why is they waited too long. I think they waited mm. way too long on him. Um, you know, we knew what was going down with this contract situation a long time ago. We knew it early this year. We knew it last year. And Wayne Simmons didn't help himself or the Philadelphia Flyers very much by having a pretty mediocre season mm-hmm. by his standards. He hasn't been very and, good. And the flame, weren't the Flames like really yeah. trying hard to get Wayne Simmons last year yeah. on the draft? And, and so now, so now you waited too long. You sat on the asset too long. He depreciated big time, and then you, you got hosed on the deal. So mm-hmm. I, I would say that that qualifies you for loser status for sure. I think. At the least, Flyers fans are going to like Ryan Hartman as a player, as long as they can kind of detach him from what Wayne Simmons was at right. his peak. Right, that's fair. And I was crunching some of the numbers on Ryan Hartman. Um, he's only playing, you know, 12, 13 minutes a game throughout his career so far. And he's hit double digits and goals three years in a row. And if you look at the kind of goals for per 60 type numbers, he's in the upper, give or take, upper third of the league. And like he was... He was up there with guys like JT Miller, Patrick Marlowe, like guys who are more clear top six type forwards, and he's never really give, been given a top six chance. So there, I think there's potential for him to be a 20-goal scorer with a, a bit more ice time. Mm, I don't know. Uh, but he's yeah. not going to be what Wayne Simmons was by any, yeah. by any yeah. means. And I still think, I mean, if I, was, if I were the Flyers, I would have rather the second or the first and no Hartman than the Hartman and the, yeah. the, the conditional, it's conditional, yeah. uh, Fourth, that becomes a third if Nashville wins a playoff series. So, See, a guy's, yeah. but a guy's points per sixty when you compare him to Patrick Marlowe and who else did you? JT say? Miller was the other JT name I Miller, noticed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only thing is, is that is that is that Brian Hartman's getting those goals, those points per sixty against third and fourth line competition. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a reason why he's not playing more than twelve minutes a game. It, it, you know, I, I have yet to meet the coach in the NHL that 
that that doesn't play guys that he think can, thinks can help him. You know, <laughs> Mike uh, Babcock. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but 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 I just I just think that you know I mean to compare it that way I, I I get it, but I think you know I mean he's scoring those goals largely against third and fourth line competition. He's not getting more than 12, 12 minutes a game for a reason. Um, I, I'm I, I just find it just you know a tad underwhelming that's fair yeah uh i think we also should pour one out for a, a loser not really by their own fault the dallas stars that really hurts you get matt zuccarello and he gets a couple points he's on the ice for three goals goal and, assist, yeah. and he breaks his arm and the stars to me were a team that so badly needed that depth forward or another top six forward and because I think, I don't know, I think the writing's on the wall for this regime. The Stars, Jim Nils had a lot of chances yeah. to get this team deep. And, oh, man, that stinks. That's, you, you, I don't know, I just feel for the Dallas Stars. They made the move they should have made, and then the hockey gods just spat in their faces. Well, they did, but he'll be back, you know, I mean, what is it? It's February They say about 20th. a month. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, but it's not like the Stars back, are locked in. the last few games of the season yeah. in the playoffs, so. But the Stars aren't, if. like, absolutely yeah. locked into a playoff spot. No, they're not. And it's yeah. it's an arm injury that required surgery, <clears throat> so four weeks was the optimistic timeline. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. And, I mean, if you look at the standings right now, like, Colorado's two points behind, but Dallas has a lot more wins. Uh, Minnesota's probably going to take a step back. Uh, given the the changes they've made lately, Colorado and Minnesota though have been hot. They've, I think they both won. No, four, well, I mean, like you, Minnesota's won four of their last ten. Colorado's won five of the last ten. Um, and then you get Arizona is the next team in the standings. So I mean, if Dallas can hold on, then that's that's great. And Zuccarello all of a sudden becomes like your super deadline acquisition right before the playoffs begin. But that's going to be the key. Is like they just got to maintain right now. They got to they got to get into the playoffs, and then this will pay off. Fair. Well, that's it for this week, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the winners and losers edition, and we'll be back next time to start talking about the stretch round. <laughs>